0: Good morning. Psalm 98 says, accurately for this morning, as Tony has played such a great prelude to get us ready for worship, it says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Can you imagine what it would be like if he had never told us, if we didn't know? We're so thankful to know this morning. It says, he has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Let's stand and praise God this morning for his salvation in Christ. confess our sins James 4 8 says come near to God and he will come near to you what assurance wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded come near to God and he will come near to you let's take a few moments to silently confess our sins to God Verse 10, 19 through 23 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. Let's stand and continue to sing.
1: I'll lead you all in the dance
0: but I am super glad that the Lord of the dance is by my side each and every day. Amen? Amen. If you're anything like me, the problems and the questions and the sins that I have sometimes seem overwhelming, don't they? But I was introduced to this song, and it was super encouraging for me as I blasted it in my car radio for many, many uh, months, and it truly celebrates that God is bigger than any problem or mountain that we can face. So we're gonna stand and sing this song together. Join us, it's a little bit fun.
2: this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord we come to you this morning reminding ourselves that even in the midst of all the unrest and violence that's going on in this world you are still in control. Lord we pray for the families and the communities who have been impacted by the shootings in Buffalo. Lord we pray for the families who have been impacted by the war in the Ukraine. And Lord, even closer to home, Lord, we pray for the families who have been impacted by the violence and shootings that take place each week in Chicago. Lord, we pray for peace. Lord, we pray for peace in Buffalo, in the Ukraine. Lord, we pray for peace in Chicago. Lord, we pray for peace in our nation, but ultimately, Lord, we pray for your peace to reign in our own hearts. Lord, prepare our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts as we listen to what you have for us today. Lord, strip away the blinders from our hearts and reveal the areas we need to confess to you. And we pray all this in the precious and most powerful name of Jesus, and all God's people say, amen. Please rise for the reading of scripture this morning. This morning, our scripture reading will be from Matthew 3. So you can turn in your Bibles, turn on your Bibles and go to that passage or you can turn to page 16 in our journals or you can just read along on the screens. In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him John's clothes were made of camels hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist his food was locusts and wild honey people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing he said to them you brood of vipers Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
3: All right, good morning, familia. I want to welcome you all again, whether you're worshiping with us in person or you're worshiping with us online. It's always uh, such a joy that we get to worship together as a family of God. Um, Today we continue our series in the book of Matthew. And as you notice, we just read all chapter three. And the topic, the thing that we're going to be talking about is about the topic or the theme of satisfaction. Satisfaction. And these are my three points for today, and I think that they're going to be uh, fairly uh, clear. We're going to talk about the search of satisfaction, the path of satisfaction, and the source of satisfaction. The search, the path, and the source of satisfaction. I need you to do me a favor. Can you please look at the person next to you and repeat this phrase? We are satisfaction-driven people. Go ahead. Let's go with the first point then, the search of satisfaction. You will read uh, chapter 3 of the Gospel of Matthew and you would say, what did Hannibal get the word satisfaction from? Like he's nowhere to be found, supposedly, in the text. But I want to point to you, and I want to make the argument that the most important verse in the entire chapter 3 of the Gospel of Matthew is found in verse 17. Everything else is important. But the main focus of the passage comes in verse 17, and the Bible says that a voice from heaven said, this is the Father speaking, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. How about if I tell you that the word pleased in the Bible is just another word to talk about satisfaction? But if I tell you that the word please is just a synonym of the word delight or pleasure or joy or happiness or satisfaction. So I actually have permission to use any of these words based on the Bible because they all mean the same thing. Please, delight, pleasure, joy, happiness, and satisfaction means the same thing. And I want to make the argument that all of us are in need of satisfaction and it is normal for us to search for satisfaction. Now, let me show you what the context of the text is. What we have here comes up uh, uh, 18 years um, uh, from the last time we heard about Jesus. So, the Bible is silent about Jesus' life from age 12 all the way to age 30. And the first thing that we hear at age 30, after 18 years of silence is that Jesus is getting baptized, that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and that the Father makes it super clear that not only he loves his son, but that he delights in his son. He finds pleasure in his son, and he experiences joy in his son. Therefore, he finds satisfaction in his son. And someone may ask the question, what does that have to do with us? Well, I hope you know that that phrase that which is read in verse 17 is repeated in other two places in the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 18, in which he's quoting Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1, the prophet is prophesying about Jesus. He's giving us an introduction into Jesus, and this is what the text says. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my ch- my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. The same phrase is repeated in Matthew chapter 17 in the Transfiguration, in which Jesus is with three of his disciples. They go to a high mountain, and then Moses and Elijah appear, representing the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And out of a sudden, they disappear, and the only person left is Jesus. And God speaks again and says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased Listen to him. That's very significant because he says that all the law and all the prophets were pointing to Jesus. They disappeared and now you have Jesus. So if you take all these concepts together, I think that the idea is super simple. God the Father finds Jesus delightful. Can you say delightful? Delightful. Because it is through Jesus that God will make things right, justice. And Jesus is delightful because, and part of the reason why we got to find Jesus delightful is because if God the Father finds him delightful, why are we to find delight in something else? I mean, if God the Father thinks that Jesus is enough for satisfaction, what makes us think that we're going to find satisfaction somewhere else? That's why in the transfiguration, God the Father says, listen to him. Find delight in him, pleasure in him, joy in him, happiness in him, satisfaction in him. You know what else I find interesting here? That this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Next week, God willing, we're going to see how Jesus is driven into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. But the first thing we hear about Jesus today is this, that he is truly, truly where all satisfaction comes from. Now, if you notice in the verses that I just read to you, there are two things that that are extremely clear. Number one is that Jesus comes to make things right. And number two is that he truly satisfies the longest of our hearts. That's why he satisfies. And I think that that's extremely important because as we said at the beginning, we are satisfaction-driven people. So we either find satisfaction in Jesus, or we are going to try to find satisfaction in someone else, something else. See, we are not neutral people, church. We either find satisfaction in him, or we're going to look at somewhere else. Listen, in our world, there's two types of people. Actually, in our community, there's two types of people. The ones that know that we cannot do without, without satisfaction, and the ones that are so disillusioned with life that they think that they cannot find it. Those are the only two options. Christianity has a third option. Let me give you the first one here. Some, uh, this is a group of people that believe that we cannot do without satisfaction. And because they know that this is true, they try to find it anywhere at any cost. You know what the problem is with that? That even though this is an optimistic group of people, which there's nothing uh, wrong with that. I actually prefer optimistic people than pessimistic people, to be completely honest. Um, Even though they're optimistic people, they tend to forget that life is more than just the here and the now. So when they're trying to find that satisfaction here and now, they they always run into problems. And even when they think that they find something that will satisfy their souls here and now, the problem is always the same. Those things you find that satisfy, satisfies you here and now eventually fade away. Isn't that true? Just think about your life for a second. You thought that you were going to get satisfaction when you got married. Well, that changed really fast. <laughs> you thought that you were going to find satisfaction when you had kids. That changed like within two hours. You thought that you were going to find satisfaction in your job until you lose your job. You thought that you were going to find satisfaction in your body until you gain weight or you lose weight. You thought that you were going to find satisfaction in whatever accomplishments you thought you would. And the reality is that all those things fade away. So what do we do? We go seeking for another one. And that one also goes away. We live what I call the treadmill. Uh, the, we have what I call the mentality of the treadmill. You run, you run, you run. You never arrive, and you're always exhausted. So that's not the solution. There's an even uh, bigger problem with this group of people, in my opinion, is that their desire and their hunger for satisfaction is so and so much that they tend to use people as a means to an end. They use people. The problem, though, is that once that person does not satisfy the person enough or deliver enough, they have to move to something else. Tell me if it's even possible to have a healthy relationship like that. On the other hand, the other group of people are so disillusioned because everything they've gone through, that they have lost all hope in finding satisfaction. This is the pessimistic one. The problem with this group is that they have lowered their expectations about life. It creates cynicism in the heart. And it usually forces people to detach themselves from everyone else and anything else. You know what the problem is also with this group? They ignore that we cannot do without satisfaction. You cannot do without satisfaction. I cannot do without satisfaction. This is the reason why C.S. Lewis, in his book, *Mere Christianity, says this... Creatures are, are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, it's such a thing, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swing. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desires. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And this is where Christianity comes with the third option. Christianity tells you that we are created for satisfaction. We are satisfaction-driven people. But Christianity also tells you that that because we live in a broken world and we are broken people, you're never going to find true satisfaction here, everlasting satisfaction. But at the same time, it tells you that the only way you could find that satisfaction in this world that is not of the world is to find satisfaction in Jesus. See, Christianity deals with positive people. He says, don't be that positive, people. This is still a broken world. You're not going to find satisfaction here. But it also deals with pessimistic people. It is possible for you find satisfaction in the world, but not of the world, only if you find it in Jesus. It is Jesus, our true delight, our true pleasure, our true joy, our true happiness, and our true satisfaction. Have you ever wondered why is it that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That makes it super clear, church. He fulfills your longings. He fills your desires. He's the spiritual bread that we all so much want. He fulfills our satisfaction. So we start by recognizing that this is part of what it means to be a human being. We are all in search of satisfaction, and that satisfaction can only be quenched in Jesus. That's point number one. How about if I tell you that we need more than that? Let's talk about the path to satisfaction. Because I don't think that it's enough, and the Bible is going to show us that it's not enough just to say, well, I need Jesus good. Actually, I want to argue that the Gospel of Matthew argues that the only way you're going to find Jesus a delight, pleasure, joy, happiness, and satisfaction is by first recognizing that we are really, really broken people. That we are sinful people. Sinful because we look in other places and things and people. Instead of looking... We're looking for, for what only can God, what only God can give us in other places, places and things. We are sinful because we tend to love other places, things, and people above God. We are sinful people because we have the tendency to suppress the truth written in our hearts. We are sinful people because we are we, we have a tendency of using other people to satisfy our desires. And we are even sinful people because sometimes we have this transactional relationship with God in which we care much more about the things He gives us than Himself. That's why in the text, the word repent is so important. Repent and confess your sins or repent by confessing your sins. See, before I make that explanation from the text... It is important to understand that even when we come to Jesus, we think that what we need from Jesus is what he gives us. Instead of understanding that the most important thing we need from Jesus is his forgiveness. You guys remember the story in Matthew chapter 9? A man that was a paralytic? See, his friends brought him to Jesus. Everyone in that, in that community, his friends and himself, they thought that what he needed to, the most was to be physically healed. Remember that? What happened in that story? They take the man to Jesus, and Jesus does not heal him at the beginning. The first thing he says is, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm that guy, I'm like, this is not what I asked for. All this hustle, all going through the ceiling for this. This is not what I need. But Jesus knows what he truly needed. Not just the hand of Jesus, but the forgiveness of Jesus. And once this man gets that, once this man is truly free, now the Lord performs a miracle. See, the sense of being forgiven... It's almost like a synonym of the word freedom. And it's only when we have find that freedom, when we start to feel and understand and experience delight, pleasure, joy, happiness, and satisfaction. This is why Paul, uh, King David talked about the joy of salvation. And this is the reason why John the Baptist and Jesus Christ start both of their ministries with the same phrase. Chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, if you have been a Christian for more than a week, you probably have heard sermons or teachings, or you have an understanding of what the word repent is. Amen? How many of you guys have heard a sermon about repenting? How many people told you, how many of you guys heard that the first thing you got to do when you believe in Jesus is to repent? How many of you guys are pretty confident that you know what that means? Let's see if that's true. Because I think that the word repentance is one of those things that we use so and so much that I think that sometimes we lose the meaning away. So for example, one of the translations for the word repent means to change one's mind to turn around, to change the attitude of your heart toward God, toward others, and toward yourself. Repentance is about turning, thinking, and living in a different way that gives glory to God. But notice that the text says very specifically that we are called to repent by confessing our sins. Look at verse 6. Confessing their sins. is the people are coming to uh, John. They were confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And I'm going to talk about baptism later on, so bear with me for a second. But I want you to hyper-focus on the word confessing of sins. And this is where I'm going to challenge a little bit your understanding of repentance. Ready? Do me a favor. Look at the person next to you and say, are you ready? Go ahead. Go ahead. Watch here. Repentance is not. Can you say not? Not. Repentance is not about feeling bad because you got caught. That's not repentance. It is possible for you to feel bad because you got caught and not because of your sin. Oh, don't you think that's a little bit different? Repentance is not just about feeling bad because of the wrong things you have done. Because it is possible to commit a sin and not feel bad. All right, if you think that, that is not true, let me argue this. Most sins I commit and you commit, we commit them because we love our sin. And he feels good. Have you ever heard a man or of a woman committing adultery and then saying, "What just happened? Who are you?" Have you ever heard that? It was a decision to pursue what the flesh wanted, to surrender to desires. Because what sin proposes and gives feels good. So confessing is not just about feeling bad. Repenting is not just feeling sorry for the consequences of your sin because it is possible for you to feel sorry for the consequences of your sin and not because of your sin. Every time I see, every time I, sin, I could see how much I have hurt my family. And I could hate that more than the sin itself. Let me give you then four sentences about what repenting, truly repentance is. Repentance is about confessing your sins. It is about recognizing that what I have done wrong is, is wrong because the Bible says so, because God said so. Well, I, wh- whether I feel it or not. It doesn't matter if you feel it or not. If it's in the Bible and it says it's wrong, it's wrong. Repenting is about recognizing and confessing, confessing that what we have done is wrong because it's an offense against the holiness, purity, goodness, and mercy of God, whether I feel it or not. Repenting and confessing of our sins is about learning to hate what sin is and what it represents, whether whether I feel it or not. Repentance is about recognizing that we are broken. And it's about humbling ourselves before a holy God, whether we feel it or not. See, that was the difference between the Pharisees and John, for example. Actually, the text says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they thought that they were all that. Look at verse 7. This is John speaking again. He says, but when, uh, this is the experience of John. But when, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brought of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, this is not the kind of stuff that you say when people are getting baptized, people. But obviously, he noticed something about them. You see, the word Pharisees means to be separated. They thought that they were better than everybody else because God has separated them for himself. The Sadducees came from the high priest of the Old Testament, meaning that they thought that they were all that because they came from the family of the high priest. And John can see that, because John can see that even though they're about to get baptized, their heart is not humble enough. They're not broken enough. Actually, in verse 8, He says, you look religious, but produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, you might look religious, you might even do things right, but the fruit is not there. Actually, one of the big things for these people is that they thought that because they came from Abraham, they were all that. And look at what John says in verse 9. And do not think that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I'll tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. That's offensive. That's equivalent to the phrase name dropping. You know, I have to be here. I come from Abraham. You know, I'm a Rodriguez. Who cares? He says, it doesn't matter who your family is. You still need to humble yourself. You still need to get to the end of yourself. You still need to recognize that you're broken because that is the only attitude of the heart that matters if you truly want to repent. And the other hand, though, John displays something completely different. See, he sees Jesus coming to him, Uh, He starts talking about Jesus. He's saying that his baptism is a preparation for Jesus' baptism. And when he talks about Jesus in verse 11, look at how he talks about him. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. You know, if you know anything about first century church and first century people, you might remember that back in those days in that context nobody would even touch somebody else's sandals because they were nasty. The only people that would do that would be slaves. And John says, I don't even get to be a slave. I cannot even touch Jesus' sandals. There is no delight Pleasure, joy, happiness, or satisfaction. Without first recognizing that we are sinful, truly sinful people that need freedom and forgiveness. And if there's no freedom and forgiveness, repentance and confession of sin. And if there's no forgiveness, unless there's repentance and confession of sin. Now, I hope you know that, that is not just for you to become a Christian, but this is our lifestyle. This is what it means to be a Christian, this is a way of life. Repentance is a way of life. John hints at that when he says that Jesus is going to come and send the Spirit in verse 11. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is going to come to live in us and purify us. But the process of purification requires repentance. Repentance. Let me put it this way, church. If repentance is not your way of life, you might not be a Christian. Melissa Duncan, which is one of our team members here that works at at TVC, uh, we're doing this video as, as a church, and she had this beautiful illustration that talks about the necessity and the beauty of repentance, and I want you to look at it for a second.
4: So when my husband and I lived overseas, and we lived in this really remote area, we had to draw our own water. So the way we would clean ourselves was by like pouring water uh, from from a pot this size over our heads, over our bodies, and just scrubbing the best that we could. And uh, I would get clean, but still like my hair would be full of sand. But you know, I, I bathed; I was clean. And then we would go once a month into the regional. Uh, the biggest city regionally near us and we would stay with friends and they had running water that was like, you could get it for like four minutes of an actual shower. And so we would shower and actually have running water and be like, I can't believe I thought I was clean before. Like all this sand just like coming off of us and we just felt so clean. But then we would go like every six months into the capital city and stay in a hotel that was like a real, had fancy soaps. It had hot water and you could just shower for as long as it took and just really like wash your hair. And I remember the water would just be like reddish tinted. Cause it was just, we lived in an area that was red sand. And as it like came out of my hair and I stepped out of there and would just be like, I can't believe I ever thought I was clean before this moment. I have never been clean before this moment. <laughs> and that's kind of like what our, what our, what our walk is with Jesus. As I get closer to Jesus, as I mature as a believer, there are going to be new things that I'm going to need to repent from, but I'm going to be continually led into these new, new areas to develop and grow as I'm walking with the Lord, as I'm being discipled. And I think that that's just kind of an analogy for, Repentance and this ongoing state of repentance that we kind of live in. It's not just once and then done. It's ongoing and it's part of the relationship that we're in. See, God loves so you my so husband much. And I lived overseas. So and
3: so much that He cannot leave you as you are. That would be unloving. That's why He wants you to repent. Without repentance, there is no satisfaction. Without repentance, there is no Jesus. Now, before going to my next point, I told you that I wanted just to spend a few seconds talking about baptism because the word baptism appears six times in the text. But notice that the text talks about repentance and baptism and conversion and baptism. In other words, there is no separation between becoming a Christian, repenting, and baptism. It all goes together as one package. But just to explain this super quick, Romans chapter 6 compares baptism, or we know that in the New Testament there's a comparison between baptism in the New Testament and circumcision in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 6 talks about circumcision as a sign and a seal of righteousness that a person has received because of faith. And if that is true of circumcision, then that is also true, that is why it's also true of baptism. It plays the same function. It's a sign and a seal. So I want you to listen up here. Baptism is a sign because it's a public celebration that a person has become a Christian by believing and repenting is external celebration of an internal transformation. That's something that we say almost every time we baptize people. Baptism is also a sign that reminds the person that he or she died and resurrected with Jesus, that they have been united with Jesus. Baptism as a congregation is also a sign that reminds all of us who have been baptized that we are still united to Jesus and that that is never going to change. That's why baptism is not a private thing. They're being ministered. We are being ministered. But the Bible says that baptism is also a seal, meaning that it confirms and it gives strength to the new believer. Now, why did I want to say that? Because in modern Christianity, there are a lot of people that profess to, that profess to believe in Jesus, and they haven't been baptized. And that, that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, but what it means is that you're missing something. You lack something. Because baptism is a seal that confirms and gives strength to the believer. So if that's your case, you have to get baptized. You're missing something hyper-spiritual, extremely important. So far I've said, I made the argument that we are all in search of happiness, of delight, of pleasure, of joy and satisfaction. And I argue that you can only find that in Jesus because the text tells me so. I also made the argument that a way to make Jesus our satisfaction is by confessing and repenting of our sins. But I want to make, make one, one more argument. That even at, that as I called you to believe in Jesus and finding Him satisfaction, the only way you can actually experience that is not just when you see Jesus as God, and not just Jesus as God, the Son of God, but as a Savior and what you have in Him. Point number three, the source of satisfaction. is super interesting that Jesus comes to John to get baptized. If you remember at the beginning when that happens, John says to, Bob, to, to Jesus, I don't want I, I to baptize you. This doesn't make any sense. Because he knows that he's an inferior baptizing a superior. And yet Jesus insists that he needs to get baptized. In verse 15 and verse 16 says this: "Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill our righteousness." Verse 16, "At that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove on top of him. And in verse 15, he's quoting Isaiah 53, in which he says that Jesus died for our iniquities to justify us, to make us pure clean, forgiven, righteous before the Father. And this is simply the beginning of Jesus' journey as on his way to the cross where he would actually accomplish this. The interesting thing, though, is the word dove there. Or dove there. Did I pronounce that right? One of those two. Because that is the name used in the Old Testament for the Israelites. And that's significant because Jesus... Is identifying himself with the Israelites. In other words, he is taking the place of the Israelites. He's taking the place of the Israelites. It's a hint to what is going to happen across and in the cross, because he's taking the place of God's people. Now his people will be forgiven and be completely justified. Now, listen up. Let me tell you what that's so important. Because satisfaction is not just found in knowing that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus was pure, that Jesus did miracles. That's not enough. Let me tell you what gives you satisfaction. To know that you are in Him. That's justification. Because if that is true, then when God the Father sees you, You can actually hear him say, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. If that was true of Jesus, if you have placed your faith in him, that is true of you. You understand that? In the midst of your sin, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that verse is still for you. He doesn't love you any less. And anymore because you are in him satisfaction comes from knowing this personal God in Jesus from repenting of your sins and from remembering that for God in Jesus you are fully righteous he loves you just as much as he loves his son now now I want to give you a story. It's going to take up about two to three minutes, I think, maybe more, to help you understand what I just said. This is a story that was written by James Steve Brown, which is a a, a theologian and author. And I want you to listen to the story. I'm going to just tell you the first part, and then I'm going to read the second part. He creates this story about this king that loves to be a king, a king that created a beautiful kingdom. A king that loved his people and his people loved them. A kingdom in which everyone is in love with him because he uses his power in the right way to serve people, to seek their prosperity, to seek their peace. One day that king has a son. Let me read the rest of the story. When the king's son was born, the people people of the community put on a great celebration. The people knew that this king would be a good father and his son one day would be just like his father. The king loved his son more than his own life. His greatest joy was to spend time with his son every evening after a, day's, a, a day of work he would spend time with his son. One day the king's son got, got lost. It was one of the most tragic days he had ever passed in the that ever passed in the kingdom. See, he didn't mean to get lost. He loved loved his father just as much as his father loved him. When the boy got lost, nothing looked familiar. At first he was calm because his father would come soon and find him. But as he waited, he began to panic. In his confusion, he began to run away from the castle. Eventually, the little boy wandered into one of the villages of the kingdom. To be perfectly honest, by that time, he looked more like a beggar than a prince. The little boy would go, go up behind someone, grab his coat, pull it, and say, Mr., Mr., I am the king's son. Would you help me get home? Sure you are, kid, people said. No, 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 you don't understand, the, be- the little boy would say. I got lost. I can't find my father. Most folks simply ignored the little boy, and those who didn't ignore him laughed at him. Pretty soon, the little boy was forced to beg for, a, for pennies just so he could buy some bread. Meanwhile, back in the castle, the king spent, a sleep, uh, spent sleepless nights looking for his son. He looked everywhere. He couldn't find him. Hours blended into days, days into weeks, weeks into months. A month into two years. The little boy was no longer a little boy. He had grown into a strong young man. At first, he really thought that he was the king's son, but so many adults told him otherwise that he began to believe that it was just a dream. After the years had passed, he forgot about the castle and about his heritage. He didn't take so many years. It didn't take so many years for him to forget about the dream altogether. Then the young man began to run to the began to run with the wrong, uh, began to run with the wrong crowd. Murder, murder, steal, rape, nothing was beneath him. Eventually the young man became the leader of the gang. Years after he had left the castle on his father, the king's son had become the most wanted criminal in the kingdom. One day, after a rather complicated set of circumstances, the king found out that his son was the kingdom's most wanted criminal. At first, he couldn't believe it, but then he checked. And the more he checked, the more he found that that was true. And now he's facing a terrible dilemma. The king loved his son, but he was also fair and just. He knew that if he released his son, who had committed terrible crimes, He would need to release the others that also committed terrible crimes, which was unacceptable. He did not know what to do, but one night, before the young man was to die, the king made his way into the prison beneath the castle. Opening his son's cells, he walked in and sat in a bunk across his son and told him, you are my son. And the kid responded, someone told me. The father said, have you ever wondered over all those years what happened to your parents? Sometimes, he said, but I had a good life and it wasn't that important. Well, says the father, I never stopped wondering about you, where you were, what had become of you. You have never been out of my mind and my heart, the king said. This continue, the, ki- the king continued, his voice trembling with emotion and tears down his face running down his face, said to him, My son, I love you with a great love, but you have become lost. I did everything I needed to do. I sent soldiers. I offered a great reward. I have never, I, I've never ceased to search for you, but now it has come to this, and tomorrow you have to die, my son. I have decided to allow you to go free. With those words, the old king got up and walked out his sun cell into the crisp night air. The young man went over to the cell door and tested it. Well, what do you know, he thought. The old man left it open. The king's sons grabbed the coat, threw it over his shoulder, and with a cynical smile, spoke aloud and said, that is stupid old man. He thinks because he has set me free, I will come back to his castle and be his assistant. Well, he's more confused than what I thought. And with that, the young man ran up the stairs and disappeared. Some two weeks later, the king's son found out what price his freedom had cost. On the day of his scheduled execution, the requirements of the Lord had been met. He was his own father that had taken his place before the next morning. He had literally died so that his beloved child could be free. And then Steve Brown asked these questions. You probably wonder, what did the son do? Did he return to the castle and became king? Did he even care about the, the price the father had paid for his freedom? Did he decide to obey the law? See, that answer, you can only answer it. Because you're the son and I'm the son. Either we delight in that or we're going to see delight in anything else. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the gift of salvation. To know, Lord, that we wander away from you. And yet you came to us. To forgive us, to love us, to die in our place in Jesus Christ. Lord, please help us respond to that and live a life of repentance until we fully delight in who we are in Jesus and what he has done for us. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say
0: don't know where to go with that other than god is so faithful to us to die for us to to bring us back home and we can only pray that he will empower us and we will say yes to him to go back with him let's stand and celebrate god's faithfulness to us
3: we respond to him it is because the lord is faithful that we are here today and it is because the lord is faithful that we can pray to him and know that he will respond and this is why at the end of most of our services we invite you to join us in prayer but we also invite you to let us know how is it that we can pray for you so if you have prayer your request, you can use the QR code in front of you, put your request there, and I guarantee you there's a staff we're going to be praying for you on Tuesday. Um, also, if you have noticed for the last few weeks, at the end of every service, we are reminding you that God placed us here for a reason, and that we are here to love people, that we are here to love the Lord and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And today, I just want to invite you um, to think about the possibility and to pray to join our Puente del Pueblo team. Now, if you're not familiar with Puente del Pueblo, it's a ministry that we have in West Chicago. We have been there for about 12 years already. It's a ministry that, we, that the Lord gave us so we could serve and love our neighbors in the Timber, in T- Timberlake, commu- uh, Timberlake community. And this summer, we're about to start our summer program, and we still need about 50 to 60 volunteers to show these young lives that God matters, that they are important to Him, and we get to invest in their lives. So I'm, go- I'm asking you to pray. And if you have the time, join us because we, we want to continue to serve the Lord in our community and we want to serve people in the community. Amen? With that in mind, how about if we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, peace. thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. Church, you are sent.